Hey everyone, it's Will and James here. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way, and future plans. So tune in for some of them wholesome yarns. The Pure Sport Project is back. We are joined by one of the OGs of Pure Sport. He's been with us for a long, long time. The man, the myth, OM. Oli March on. Don't even need to use his name. You just use abbreviations. OG, OM. Can't think of any more. There is, there is only one OM, right? There is no one else is famous for being OM. There are other people now using their uh, initials to refer to themselves, but like JD, I was the first. <laughs> <laughs> name another OM. Oh. Ollie Mansbridge. You Never know, heard he, of her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so normally when we do these things we rather than us introduce the guests because we probably don't know a fair bit about you we normally get let the guest introduce themselves they give them the best introduction so over to you om you telling me you didn't research me before this to come up Bro, with I know everything about you <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna bring things up that you didn't even know know that i knew First off, it's a pleasure to be here, boys. I will give you a whistle-stop tour introduction to OM because there's probably too many different iterations and they can get boring. So I am now, I guess, the, the founder and owner of March On, which is a, a bricks and mortar facility, an online training provider. We do nutrition and we're soon to bring out a few new products, which is quite cool. I'm also co-founder of the PFCA, which is the Professional Fitness Coach Association. And we stand to essentially raise the standards of the fitness industry through coaching and education and mentorship of fitness professionals and gym owners. That's where I am today. In the past, I've been, I guess, a, trying to be a wannabe athlete. So I've been played professional rugby for a couple of years. I've always, I've been a, a coach and a, and a personal trainer since probably 21 when I left university um, and been around the fitness industry for as long as I can remember, either engaging in, in sport or, or coaching of some, some sort. The end. The thing that strikes me most about you and Obviously, I, I guess most people probably find you through social media because you've got a big following. But what's what's most striking about you for me was just the intensity of like everything you put out every single day, twenty four seven, seven days a week, is so committed. And you're an, you're an open book. You show everyone everything you're doing. That for me is most striking. I don't see anyone else that's done that for the period of time you have or to the level you have. Where did that come from, that drive to just be so committed all the time and BOM? I think for me, like, I am probably a bit obsessive over things. I think I, I think the success that I've had or whatever perceived success I've had has come from repeatedly doing things that which if I deem it being to show the success, then I'll just continually go down that, go down that path. I think given kind of how I started and always wanting to be someone in the sporting realm, like be an athlete, be in, within sport, and never like I was naturally talented, but I was never you know the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the fastest, any of those things. I had to you know build a relentlessness, a tenacity, in order to get myself noticed, to get picked. And this is from a very young age. So I think that's then just carried on into to later life. I'm very competitive with myself more so than than anyone else. It's it's just about you know challenging myself. And I think as I've as I've grown a little bit older, I also feel as though the connections that I've been able to build off genuine authenticity and showing people my life, it just brings a lot of joy to be able to have like deeper conversations with people and people to feel as though they know me. 
on the flip side of that, I'm actually pretty, I, I, I'm very private and I keep my circle very small because the energy and effort that I want to show to my, my immediate circle is very finite. So I give a lot of myself to a lot of people and I get a lot in return, but I give even more to the people that are very close to me and I get a huge return on that investment. Questions you got off, I'm or Yeah, yeah. What's up, Owen? Um, nah, I think just for me, I just want to say, fucking honour to have you, Owen. We've been working on the podcast for a while. You're a busy dude, man. I don't think, you know, I know people get a, a, an insight into your life through your social media. And it's been, I feel such a strength of yours. It's created such buy-in and engagement and loyalty because people get to see that you live and breathe the brand. But I, I think through our connection, through uh, you being involved in Pure Sport and connecting with me right back at the beginning where I had no idea. I was just a whippersnapper who had a dream and an opportunity to try to grow a brand. And you really believed in that. And I think we connected in a combo where we related to each other. I think you saw that I was a guy who'd had a rugby career and gone out and trying to build something that I was passionate about in a way that you could relate to, I think. I think you, you from what I understand, you understood how much that would take and you were willing to get on board and well actually the first thing you said to me which i really admired about you was like bro i will not promote anything i don't believe in that that, that, that doesn't work for me that's first and foremost and i was like nah man that is perfect for us like try this stuff if you love it i'd be honored if you spoke about it in whatever capacity you did and the buy-in from you and the support for us was like immense man it was a game changer and the coolest thing was a friendship arose, you know, amongst you and I, and um, that's something that I'm grateful for, man. And like the cool thing about a business collaboration, like genuine connections can arise. And I think I only just walked in at the end of that convo and I, and I do, it's something I'm learning, like you can, as much as your intentions are good, you can wanna give your time and energy to everybody, but it's just not possible and it's about trying to connect with the people that, you know, you're really aligned with and then giving the time and energy there. And um, that's something you've always, you know, had an abundance for for us. And shout out to William Googe, actually, because he's the one who's like, bro, OM, you you need to connect with, I'll get his number. And I, I was already like following you and stuff. He was like, I'll, I'll, I'll get an intro, bro. I'll get an intro. I was like, yeah. <laughs> there was a funny thing about that that story because before I was ever, like I was associated with Pure Sport already and just like, doing what doing what we did promoted it because well me at the start because i loved it and she was like can you help in any way get get involved in like gyms or different people we could connect with and my number one person i was like bro there's one there's one guy you need that has like a tribe of people and that's ollie marchin i was like everything he does every day is what as you said lives and breathes it and i said if this guy likes the products because he'll tell you if he doesn't then it could be, it's a game changer. Like you have, you have a really strong following, such high engagement and people are interested in what you're doing because of that 24 seven attitude. And yeah, number one on the list. And here we are today talking about it. I still remember the, I still remember Guji coming to it with the conversation. And, and like you say, Grace, like it was a, it was a case of like introducing, you know, us introducing ourselves to each other, understanding a little bit more about who you were and what you were trying to achieve. I think there was just natural synergies from the get go because we were people that our identity was based around our rugby careers. And then we were going into something that was largely unknown, but we wanted to give it a go. 
I think the people involved with Pure Sport at the very get-go, like yourself, Chelsea and Guji, like they're people, they're my kind of people. They're, they're passionate about what they do, easy to get along with. And I've always been a big fan because when you have a bit of a quote-unquote kind of following on social media and things, people do approach you to try and push and help their brands and, and get them off the ground. And I've always been a big fan of, of being able to accept anything that people want to send me. And if I do genuinely like the T-shirt or whatever is the product, I'll do a couple of stories about it. And I probably... In fact, I often go above and beyond. Like I'll do multiple stories on consist, you know, consistently over a number of weeks because I want to see that brand do well. If it's you know, if it's good products and it's it's born out of a genuine passion. Little did I know that Pure Sport would go on to be the. Well, in fact, I knew it would go on to be the powerhouse that 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 it, that it has. And I think you guys are. I, I genuinely think you guys are only just at the beginning of what you're going to do as well. So it's I been mean, a good ride so far. It's been a cool journey and just it's one of the most meaningful things like it's one of our values and it's something I see and march on as a business is through my rugby career like you know you learn that there are some people you just connect with that like they're your best buddies they're your kind of people but then there's also people that it's like you probably wouldn't choose to spend your time with them and I think when you've got the opportunity to build your own business and culture the people you align with are it's everything and being able to connect with people in that become part of pure sport that are really like aligned that they're your kind of people as a, as a value of ours. And that's how I see a march on like, how is there a viewpoint that you have when you're looking at hiring your people? Because I feel my insight into march on being able to connect with your crew, your people is that there's a, there's a genuine buying, like they just represent march on the same with the same passion and love and pride that you do. How has that journey been? Like, how have these people that have done, like, you know, like the, the Baggios, the Alex Readers, obviously your brother's a, a natural alignment and fit. Um, He's a diamond in the rough. Still. <laughs> um, and he, 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 the sculptor's still chipping away at him to get to the <laughs> OM. <laughs> nah, man. Hey. Shut up, Chad. <laughs> Hey, that that not so shredded is sexy too, man. Uh, <laughs> like ask ask Dollar, you know. <laughs> but yeah, man, how has that journey been for you? And has there been people along the way that you thought were amazing that weren't the right fit? And like, how has that been? Hundred percent. I think everyone that's come into the March on Brand have been have been awesome. But there's there's definitely been some people that haven't fit what we've done, and they've kind of come in and, and moved on. I think one thing from the get-go that myself, Alex and Charlie were able to do because we spent so much time with each other and by proxy of being my brother and my best friend, we were able to create a culture within the three of us, you know, the way in which we operated, the way in which we did things. And I think as people have sort of come into, come into like the, our community as either as members or as people who would potentially go on to be coaches of ours or employees, they just live and breathe that culture as well. And I think because it's very, very evident, we did a lot on culture creation and understanding our values and how we wanted to do things that it almost like permeates into everyone that we work with. Even our wider kind of audience and community that just through social media, people pick things up and, and adopt certain practices or ways in which mannerisms and the ways we do things. But yeah, I think it's just, it's just born out of really trying to understand who, like who, who we are. Spent, we spent a lot of time together and that just compounded over time that other people picked it up. And I also think a bit like the pure sport, when you try and when you create a brand that is aspirational to be involved with at any level, you attract a certain type of people. And I think that comes from just like building a, a strong, a strong foundation of your brand to begin with. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm learning, cause I, I went into pure sport, like completely blind to like business, like the responsibilities, the pressures, the expertise, the 
all the different elements to business. I, it was literally like, this is a great idea. I got, we can create this and we can make it happen. And then as you go, you know, you see the complexities and what it takes to scale up. One thing I'm learning is that there are actually a majority of businesses from my perspective that are started with the idea being founded upon what's going to make money. And then on the flip side, there is a small portion of businesses that are created out of an absolute passion and drive for a big, uh, uh, what's behind that business, you know? So for you, it's inclusiveness and fitness uh, and bringing people together for the, for the greater good of their health and fitness, right? Would that be a, a fair explanation? Yeah, but I think I always like say that if I didn't have, like if everyone took marching away from me now and I started again with nothing, I'd still have myself. And that's the important bit. It's the same with like you three here. Like Guji's mindset, just everything about him. He's a, he's a, he's a spectacular person. The fact he's going to go and do 48 and 30 or even attempt that sort of thing and everything he's done previous shows he's a special person. I'm conscious of giving JD too many compliments because, <laughs> because, 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 yeah. because, because I, because I, <laughs> no, but, but, eating but, it, but, but, <laughs> but again, but again, again, any, like his, his work rate, like his natural talent, like everything that it comes with JD and same, same with you I have to say it, eh? it is really tough. <laughs> There's a little bit inside me that's, that's, that's dying. So I think just like bring it back to, to us our business was founded on the fact that like I was, I was actually going to leave the fitness industry before, before March athletic first started because I was just an overworked, stressed out trainer that was delivering 40 to 50 hours a week. And just on this cycle of just like how most personal trainers go down that self-employed trainers go down that route towards burnout. Then I decided the only way to stay within the fitness industry was to try and create something where daily I would actually feel passionate about going to work, irrespective of how much money it made. In fact, when I started the business, I invested all my life savings and we had a one-year lease, right? In terms of a business decision, that's like, I don't know if I can, we can swear on this podcast, but it was, it was fucking stupid, right? A one-year lease to invest all your life savings into a business that might, f f like, fundamentally could only last a year. But I knew by bringing my best friend and my brother on board daily, we'd just have a good time coaching fitness, training together, spending more time together. And that to me is like, if the lease extends, then we're going to be in the game here. That's all we really were concerned about. Daily, we'd enjoy ourselves. We we're all going to be good coaches. We were very good at what we did. And that's all that really mattered. The money side of things didn't matter because if I, if I lost everything, I still have myself and I, can, I believe I'll always be able to make money if that's my motivator, if I need to put food on the table. Yeah, and no, I, I, I really feel that the brands that build longevity are and have and they create a true buy-in from the people that become, you know, clients, customers, whatever it may be, part of that community, uh, is because the people driving the from that driving force are the ones who actually have the passion. I feel that there's a lot of businesses that have an unbelievable idea, so much resource and capital behind it, so much expertise, hotshot CEOs, marketers, and they don't have the actual drive and passion for that purpose that they're pushing. And people feel that. Like you may see them on billboards and digital ads and sponsorship everywhere, but there's a difference between a brand that has like an actual soul and passion, which is that bigger picture drive. You know, one, like we see that in March on and we've drawn a lot of inspiration and we, 
every day, like we say to each other, like, man, guys, this shit is hard. We're all fucking working so hard, but we're helping people. And we see these reviews. We see the people we connect with, people saying these products have like absolutely changed my life. People saying Run Club gave me a sense of belonging and friendship that I've never had. People saying I was struggling with depression and I found Fitness Club and it helped me mentally and, and all these things. It's like, yes, as a business, you need to make money to keep progressing and keep moving forward. But what drives that from the background is actually the true passion for what you have. And then one of the examples is Run Club. So we've been hit up by multiple brands that are like international brands with like massive hundreds of million marketing budget. And they ask us, oh, we want to put our name to Pure Sport Run Club and sponsor it. And they were like, we sit there and we're like, what, why are they not just doing their own run club with all their money? And the difference is they don't have the people that will actually truly be passionate to connect with those people, share their love for fitness and wellness. And I think I just want to say massive ups to March on because the biggest thing I see in all that you guys do is whether it's at an event, whether it's online, whether it's your programs, whether it's your staff, is you're smiling, you're connecting with people, you're actually living the values of what your brand is about you know it's not like you're out there just trying to fucking get new people get new customers it's like you're actually trying to help people it's, it's the difference i think yeah everything you said there with the, with the fitness club the run club and the stuff that we do it's the difference between looking for a return on investment by putting these things on and making it like a transaction i'm going to do this for you what are you going to do for me versus just trying to create experiences for people and impact people through whatever the products and services that you you bring out and i think that's what you guys do really well it's just like give people an experience they wouldn't get anywhere else and get them to buy into a community. And then by, you know, by default of that, when you guys bring things out, people are going to naturally want to support you. And, and I've got a, I've got a question for you because it's something that you and I have um, sort of chatted about and that, and we can relate to each other on a, a bit. And I find it's, it's probably a really interesting part of your journey is as a, as a young rugby player and a guy that had, you know, achieved some great things in your rugby career. What were what were some of the experiences that you went through that were possibly restricting or limiting because, you know, at that that profession and, and in a team sport, sometimes it can it, it can be very regimented. It can be very you need to be a certain type of personality to fit the mold or that the coaches like or so that they feel like they're in control and the you know, some of the older players they want they see guys you should be like this, so they could try to put young guys in their place and things like that. Is there any experiences that you experience along the way that help potentially mold you and mold yourself as a leader and things that you took away from your rugby career in that regard? Yeah, I mean, my career was a bit of a roller coaster, really. So I'll try and fast track through leaving school, like playing full time with Saracens, eight months in, getting injured. I loved the routine of, of being in a club like that as well, where at the time, British and Irish Lions, you know, all blacks, you, you're, you're with some of the best players in the world like that. And what, where I really excelled there, what I really enjoyed was being in the gym, in the gym environment, the camaraderie, people supporting each other. That's probably why I moved into, into the, the, the gym-based world post-rugby. But I took that opportunity for granted because I was too young and I was naive. So 18 years old, didn't do the extras, didn't spend as much time as I should, wanted to get home and knock around with my mates rather than I wasn't in the players house because I live local to the, to the rugby club so I didn't I didn't 
eat, sleep and breathe it like those boys did. I like do the analysis post-training things. And then when I got injured, I hadn't done enough for them to want to keep me on. And then I went to university and lived a very different life. You know, for my first year at uni as an injured rugby player, I wasn't, you know, I was going out, partying, not going to lectures. It's got, I've gone from like routine and, and living in a, in a high performance environment to living in a university halls. And it was kind of a bit of a mess for me. So it kind of just like, I needed to like flip the narrative a little bit and just try and make the most of a situation that was, wasn't my choice going to university in the way in which I went. Second and third year uni got back into rugby and, and gained just a bit more confidence in, in the fact that I could get back into it. And then I started playing again uh, post uni. The environments that I was always in thereafter were never like that elite environment again. I was constantly trying to battle to make my way up through the national leagues, like still semi-pro, that that kind of thing. So you're not you're not really a professional athlete. In fact, you're not a professional athlete. You're just kind of a you're a wannabe, right? You're like I'm a rugby player, but are you really? It's a bloody tough gig, it's a tough, yeah, the, and there's some yeah, it's physical. <laughs> those games are tough, man. Some of those games at those leagues are tougher physically than at a, the highest level. Yeah, I mean, to, to travel up and down the country, right, and still try and hold down a job to be able to f- put food on the table and train a couple of times a week. Like, you're kind of in that, like, you're in limbo of, like, you want to give your whole life to it because being a professional athlete is like the pinnacle for a lot of people that are naturally in sport of whatever sport it may be, but you're just not quite there. And either it's either luck or it's just like, you're not good enough or whatever it may be. I managed to get picked up into the sevens program and that then just reignited that like full time I'm, I'm in. But again, I was in it and I was in a squad that some of these, these guys are like superstars, you know, the Dan Norton's of this world, the Tom Mitchell's who went on to be captain. Like these guys are, these guys are really at the top of their game. So for me, it goes back to Guji's question at the beginning, like what, how did I become how I, how I have? I had to put an extra effort. I'd learned my lessons as an 18, 19 year old, like the things get taken away from you very quickly. Don't make the same mistake again. And, I, and that's where I just became like ruthless in, in my practice of, of trying to get better at rugby. And I was, obviously there's a ceiling for someone who's, who's five foot nine and about 85 kilos were through, but those lived experiences have, have kind of made, made me who I am today. And just to answer your question, in terms of some of those experiences, it's a bit shit in professional sport or in any sport. Like if you're not the coach, you know, if you're not in the coach's vision for where he wants to take the team, if you don't quite fit the mold, if a new coach comes in, there's a change of management and they want to bring in new, new people, you're kind of surplus to requirements. And if you're still in contract, you're kind of there every day putting in the same amount of work because you've got that mindset and you've got that drive, but you know it's all in vain. And I think in sport, particularly for me, like I, I needed towards the end of my career, I needed a sports psychologist to like actually keep me able to play well enough. I didn't have access to one. And I think in hindsight, now looking back that last 18 months of me playing rugby, that's, I mean, it's the reason I retired, hung up my boots. And I've never touched them again. Like at 26, 27 years old, I've probably only touched a rugby ball once or twice. In the last Still six trying years. to get him into Bournemouth Simmons for pure sport on Saturday. I'm making a comeback. For someone who couldn't put the ball down from, from the ages of like 13, 14, whenever I started to 27, it tells you a lot about what those last couple of like, what that last year was for me. And it was just the environment that I was in, a high performance environment, which I'd like spent my whole life trying to get into, but then a change in management and, and what have you. And just, it just crushed who, who I was as the rugby player. Yeah, it's... um. I can recall the moment in my career where I, I got an opportunity and honestly, like there are guys who are alongside me who were just as good, if not better, potentially, that didn't get that opportunity and then they never went on to be professional rugby players. And I can I can honestly say if I hadn't got that shot that I did at the time that I did, 
and made a name for myself at a young age, like I, I ended up getting contracts for the rest of my career, you know, because of that opportunity that other people didn't have, you know. So the margins between like how good players are when you get to that level are so minimal. Of course, there are the ones that are just absolute freaks and superstars, but then the the sort of layer under that is the the level between is just marginal and it's about luck, opportunity, injury, what a coach thinks of you at the time, whether you get that opportunity to push on and actually make a career out of it. And I think, yeah, it's it's one of it's something that I really experienced, which was people tell you that pro sport is the dream, but unless you're in it, no one knows what it really is like mentally. And I think it if you live and breathe it and you are getting picked at week in, week out and you're getting paid good money, I reckon it is the dream. But when you're scraping by and you're struggling and it's up and down and you're not getting selected and you don't know where the next contract is and this coach doesn't like you so you're not getting a look in or you've been injured, people take their vision of the dream of what they see at the pinnacle and they don't realise that's like the top 1%, you know. So I actually admire people that have that strength and foresight at an age where they could still just grind it out for another five, six, seven years uh, to actually be like, fuck, this ain't for me. I'm going to go somewhere I can give my all and progress and empower myself where it's not reliant on someone else's opinion. And I actually, looking back, I didn't have that strength to make that call. And I think I was so embedded in rugby as my identity. But looking back, I should have left rugby a lot earlier than I did because I, I, it wasn't truly my passion. Like my the, the career of it wasn't my passion. I loved the game. I never really fit the mold in the career-wise, you know. So I actually admire like someone like yourself. You made that international sevens. You could have got that hunger to just stick because you know what it's like there are guys that literally stick in there till they're 35 they play like three games a year and hold bags the rest but they got a contract they got the kit people know them as a rugby player and they're like they, they just stick at it but you know what i mean but i admire the one that's like fuck that i'm gonna do shit that i can progress at in my own life and i think you're one of those people that had that foresight to do that and i'm sure people were saying to you why are you walking away you know like i say like it Spending more time thinking about it, even when we're having this conversation, it, it sounds weird to give up at 27 and never touch a rugby ball again when I was obsessed with the sport. I also think I'm lucky or products of my environment, like the fam, like my the family that I've got, um, particularly on my dad's side, like the success that they've had in business and various other things. Like I knew that by going to university and getting good grades and things and always being someone who, who was quite, I was interested in doing well in everything that I did, whether it was education or sport. I had something to, to kind of fall back on. And I also, there was a thing just like this chip on my shoulder that I needed to be successful and I wanted to make my dad and, and also my uncles and things not not proud of me. That wasn't, but just like prove something to them. I, I did that throughout my rugby career because they, they weren't natural sportsmen. No one in my family really other than on my mum's side were into sport. It's all about business. So I, I wanted to make sure that I proved that if I'm going to give sport a go, I'll do I'll do well at it. And then having that then to to that same mindset to move into something else and I built a personal training business alongside rugby as well which probably impacted my rugby career at times but it gave me something else to, to work on. Oh, to gain your degree build a business 
make it to the international level for your country is unreal. And then to leave on your terms is, and for me, for someone that was in it and caught in it, like is a massively admirable thing. And I think it also holds you as a much more well-rounded person. You know what I mean? And because I always feel that pro sport is like some of the toughest experience of, of life in one little package, you know, you experience the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and the mental anguish and emotion like inner because it's something you're so embedded in. You can't do it at that level if you're not fully in it, you know what I mean? Um, and you ride a roller coaster that some people only experience the I feel highs and lows of a sporting year in their whole life, you know. So I think it does mould you to be more resilient to look at life in a certain way. So the fact that you experience that all the while, get gaining your degree and, and building a business is, is pretty bloody amazing. And I think actually I, I really feel that all my eggs were in my rugby career basket because I felt that I actually had a view when I was like 17. I was like, fuck, what am I going to do with my life? I grew up in a council house. You know, like I need to make something of it. I don't want to live this life. Fuck, I'm not good at school. Okay. I'm going to try to be a rugby player. And that was something that gave me progression, but it's not a healthy view to have of a career because it's like you shouldn't rely on something to give your own inner value, you know what I mean? That's not a healthy relationship. I think that's what kept me caught in it. So, yeah, man, I think it's so cool to see someone that had that vision to go the other way and then – for anyone that's listening, like say youngsters, from my perspective, there's always other opportunities. If it's not true to you, do what OM did, you know. Don't stay stuck in it like I did. But as well, I think I'm also thankful for the journey as well, you know, for what I learned from that. And sometimes it takes people longer to learn something and I'm one of those like banging my head against the wall type dudes and then I maybe see something. So, yeah, it's not just one path, is there? Not many, man. And, and like you said, no regrets. They're all lived experiences. And I think it's how you leverage every opportunity that you have. Take those experiences, learn from them and, and make sure that, yeah, they teach you, a, they, they give you a lesson that you can implement later in life. And I've, I've certainly tried to do that. And, and one, I'm going to go because I talk too much, but... Yeah, you've, one, you've hijacked Dollars. This yeah, is Dollars' sorry, big moment. He's in, <laughs> sorry, guys. I, I'm Dollars gonna, interviewing OM. Yeah, you've I'm hijacked gonna, it. Yeah, because Dollar was going to go home and tell everyone how he interviewed OM and like, show <laughs> up about it. Like, now I've ruined it. The Hugh Hefner of functional fitness, he said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so one last thing for me. I, I've had the chance to like obviously chat with you about business, about what you're doing, and you've I've learned so much from our conversations. There's been a few Sunday morning chats that they've gone for two hours, yarning back and forth, and you've given me some amazing advice and stuff. And but one thing I see in you is that uh, you know you have a natural way of leading people. And do you feel that some people are have something within them? Like, have you felt a natural sense of leadership within yourself along your journey? So that's the first part of the question. The second part is, what have you consciously learned about leading people? Like, what are your key pillars of leadership now with your team? Yeah, so the first part of the question, I think I've always naturally been a leader. I have, like, I've always captain teams. I've always, I've always wanted to be, like, the in the first line of attack. I've always wanted to, 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 to lead people and, and, and be in that position. So... 
I think that's just kind of innate in, inside me as well. I think to, to lead others, you need to have a level of emotional intelligence. I need to. Ha- I think you need to be very self-aware and I think you need to be aware of others as well. You need to be able to build genuine connection with people, understand what their drivers are, understand what their special talent is, understand how to bring it out, for, out of them. And that's not easy. And it's something that as I've you know, built teams and, and tried to, to and tried to lead teams, it's taken me some time and I've actually got it wrong on a number of occasions. But that's, I think, all part of the, lear- the, the, the learning experiences and the journey of, of trying to be a better leader. Links back into culture creation as well. Once you understand who you are and you can communicate your vision well with people and you can get people on the same path and get them to understand it then I think leadership becomes a little bit easier. And I think making sure that people feel valued because our, our job, you know, in our industries and what we're trying to create, particularly on the shoestring budgets that, that we that we have, it's tough work. Like you work the arse end of the day, you feel as though as an employee of it, and I, you know, I'm an employee of March on, you feel as though you can never really leave it sometimes. So it's, and sometimes you feel as though there's no real direction. You feel as though you're pissing in the wind, you're trying something, you give it a go. So you ha- you have to make people feel as though they're valued. You have to ma- you have to appreciate the work they do, and that's just something we we continually try and do. But like I said, I've not, I've not always got it right, and I think when I have got it wrong and I've dropped the ball or I've upset someone or or s- the people around me also hold me accountable. Like like I say, my brother, my best mate Al, my wife, the people around me will hold me accountable, and they'll say because they know what I'm like. Again, linking back to Guji's bit at the start, I'm a bit weird at times and obsessive and relentless and, and what have you. And they'll just rein me in a little bit. And I respect them enough to say it to, to, say it to me and I, I take their opinion on board and I'll, I'll sort of change the way I am at certain times. Yeah, man. And uh, so I think... Nugget. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get the man a feed. Yeah, man. I, I, I've had the good fortune of meeting the lovely Lauren March on and, you know, it, I think it, it's true what they say, you know, like having the the support of and and that kind of grounding of a good woman is a really like beneficial meaningful thing and something that you and i are fortunate to have and i think we're similar in that regard we both need that reining in and being like oi fuck enough's enough go to bed now or we like switch off work come on man like you know so the opportunity that i've had to connect with lauren i think uh credit to you both done well there and she's bloody good. Thanks, girl. mate. <laughs> Shout out to Lauren, <laughs> the real, the real fourth behind Macho, man. <laughs> but um, hey, I'm gonna leave you guys to it. But pleasure to have you here, Ollie. And yeah, man, can't speak highly enough of how meaningful it is to us for you know the journey that we've had with you, part of Pure Sport, and not only your input to Pure Sport and how you represented us, but what we've learned from you, what you're building with March on. So big love, bro. Let the man have a feed, man. Give him his Leon. Right, might just leave it there and call, call, <laughs> call that day. <laughs> yeah, I'll come up, bro. Back on track. Let's go. Yeah. Jesus, where do we go from there? That was pretty, pretty good. That was some pretty good content there. For, for me, it was, um, it's kind of that period of leaving, leaving the rugby career how quickly did you, you were doing the personal training stuff alongside that, right? What, how quick was that transition to personal training full time and then discovering or making that choice? I need to do my own thing, build my own life around my own structures. And so it was March on. Yeah. So the backstory for those that haven't heard it, when I, when I left university to get myself back into rugby, I'd fallen out of you know, the system, so to speak. So I had to self-fund myself and create a lifestyle that allowed me to try and be a professional rugby player without being one, i.e. being able to train 
at the times in which I needed to eat the food I needed to do and live that lifestyle in an attempt to try and mix it with those sort of people again. So I set myself up as a, as a freelance personal trainer in the local leisure center and built a, built my business around, like I said, my training and my nutrition. It was very much, I was the athlete first and I was the coach second. That then just compounded. I, I got busy as a personal trainer. I was good at, as good at coaching and I was kind of trying to live this, this dual life of coach and rugby player at the same time. Fast forward, it got to a stage where, you know, rugby took off. I, I let the coaching take a back seat a little bit. I was fortunate enough to get a studio gym where I could house my clients. And I was doing the two job roles side by side. When rugby finished, I went all in on personal training. In that period as well, towards the end of rugby, I went and spent four months in LA. Again, some more lived experiences, just some sort of self and personal development, trying to find out what I wanted to do. Was it rugby? Was it fitness? Where in the world would it be? And I realized after living in LA for four months, that like where I lived in Hertfordshire, I was, it was, it was, a, it was a great place. All the things I thought were negative about it were actually positive. It's funny when you leave, when you, when you grow up in a place, you're like, you just want to leave. You're like, oh, I can't, there's nothing happening here. But then when you experience some of the rest of the world, then it really like draws you back. And then you realize why it's so good, potentially where you're from. A hundred, a hundred percent, mate. Like I, I thought growing up through my teens and early twenties, I needed to get out of Hertfordshire where I was either, and be in a big city and or be abroad. And like I say, I had an amazing time. I was, I was living in Santa Monica. It was amazing, but it taught me that like back home was where it's at. And I was spoiled actually where I lived, like very close to London, could fly anywhere in Europe within a couple of hours. And so anyway, I, I came back and I just got to a stage as, as, as a coach, like I alluded to earlier, where I was just I didn't, I'd put all the tenacity that I had in rugby into just like delivering coaching hours. And I saw everything as a challenge and I still do now, which is, is, is a negative and it's quite destructive in some ways. But if someone said, could you train me at 5, 5 a.m. or someone said, I can only do Sunday, I can only do this time. I was just a yes man. I'd be like, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. So I ended up delivering all these coaching hours. I was making loads of money. I wouldn't never spend the money because I knew how hard I had to work to, to make it. I was too tired to go out the weekend. You couldn't drag me for sofa at Saturday night. I was just a shell of the person that I once was. And I was just a bit shit to be around, to be honest. So I knew that I had to make some changes. So at that stage, I thought, right, I'm either going to leave the fitness industry and go into something like in finance or sales or go into London, do something that I thought I'd be good at, or try and start this gym. Cut a long story short, I wanted Alex, yeah, my best mate, to come on board with me. He just spent the last two, three years working his, well, in fact, longer than that, since un leaving university, working his way up in the strength and conditioning world, which for those that know, take a lot of time. It's a lot of um, work experience, a lot of unpaid work. It's a bit of a slog. So to try and pull him out of that world into like personal training, even that would have been more commercially you know, beneficial for him. He was just like, nah, Saracens had just won the premiership in the European Cup. He was just making his way up as like the shadow in the first teams and things. So I was like, Chad, what about you? Do you want to, no, you're doing nothing with your life. <laughs> he'd, actually, uh, he'd actually got a job in like in Tesco's buying departments so in the head office. And that summer that I was in LA, he wanted to go to Ibiza and then come to LA to see me and then come to Vegas. And he didn't have enough holiday. So he was just like, right, I'm leaving. <laughs> so he left his job. Oh, I don't believe it at all. Left it, left his... <laughs> Admitted to the party life. Like, that's Chad. Yeah. Uh, he we'll left... figure out after. It's all good. <laughs> so he did, he did that summer. I'd be at LA, Vegas, and then he ended up spending the next year, basically, like Dubai, New York, like just not really doing anything, just trying to, again, find himself with no real pressure. So I said, come and do the fitness thing. And he was like, yeah, cool. I'm in. Got qualified as a trainer. And then at the last minute, Alex, I think, had FOMO. He was like all right, I'm coming in too. So now I'm left with the two of them. And I was like, okay, we can make this work. For the first nine months, we didn't set the business up correctly. 
like, and I knew we didn't, but it was like, for me, going from being a personal trainer to try and employ staff, I was just worlds away, like worlds apart from like how I, how my mind was set up. I was used to being there for an hour, making some money, putting it in my bank. Now having employees and things, given also the fact that I said we had a year's lease and what have you, I was just doing business wrong. Nine months in, luckily, everything started to to go quite well for us in terms of we were getting clients, we were getting busy, but we were, we were all going down that path of being overworked again because it was all about like money for time. And I knew that if we re, that we tore it all down, tore down the model and reset it back up, we'd be on a trajectory like of, of an upward curve of employees and going all in on, on actually growing a business. So that's what we did. And then for the next two, three years though, because I was very naive about business and I had the same mindset of what I did between rugby with rugby, I basically buried myself again, just in a different environment, buried myself in rugby, buried myself as a self-employed trainer, then buried myself as trying to run a business. Yeah. It's worth working as hard as you can thinking that maximum effort gets maximum output. Basically. So it's all I'd ever known. Yeah, and I, I actually, I developed this complex where if I wasn't doing something, like if I was sitting down and watching TV, I thought I was doing something wrong. So you were like it. I actually got into endurance sport. I never got any good at it, but I, I started swimming. I started long runs. I never cycled, but because if I was at work delivering coaching hours or working on the brand, I was content because I was working. If I was doing my training session, which was usually like the, the, the usual sort of stuff, an hour, an hour's long strength work and some conditioning, I was content because I was training. But then that in that spare time, I couldn't just, I couldn't sit still. So I'd, I'd just go and do endurance stuff. And I, 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 ran, I just buried myself. It actually ended up, you know, quite both mentally and physically in, in a pretty bad place. And it culminated, I'll quickly tell this story because it might be helpful for some people that might be going down that path. We were training the three of us in the gym and we were doing box jumps and it, the, the box wasn't particularly high. It was something that we, I, I should have been able to do in my sleep. And I physically could not jump on the box. I went to jump and I missed so I went to jump again. It was almost like you, Indian fast. So you go, I go. So Alex was behind me. I went to jump again and I missed. Like I just didn't have the power in my body. I went to jump for the third time. I missed. And I, as I fell back, I saw red and I, I cocked my fist and I went to punch Alex. Like I was just going to put my fist through his face. Obviously I, I pulled back at the last minute and I was like, whoa. I just said, right, boys, just step aside. I need to jump on the box. I went to jump for the fourth time missed for the fourth time and I, again no one was behind me this time and I almost put my hand through the window and I left the gym and I was just like something needs to change I need to sort myself out and that was then the catalyst for just more self-development if I'm going to go down this business route I didn't have a mentor or anything with me like then I just knew I was doing it very very wrong so I've got uh, two questions which is at least time for two nuggets by the way if you want to start yeah, cramming I mean, into them <laughs> Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give, I'm trying to give you an opportunity, <laughs> but you had, you had this life before, like everyone knows now, or most people will anyway, like you're basically teetotal. If I don't know if it's his birthday or it's Chad's birthday, you might have a whiskey, you might have to, whatever you'll celebrate those small wins, which I think is a healthy thing. Like you can, you can let loose when the moment is right. Before, in the, maybe the LA thing, I don't know, but you you lived that party lifestyle through university. When did you realize that that lifestyle wasn't going to serve you? And now, what is your reward structure? Because we kind of said it earlier when we were going to the, going to ARC, 
it's like there's for most people reward structure is put a load of effort load of work in and then have a massive cheat meal or go out for beers with your mates good bottle of wine or whatever so it's a long-winded question but where did that all change i think just touch on the on the um on alcohol and drinking so for someone like me who like i've alluded to a few times now i'm just not very well balanced and it's something that i've had to work on over time so when we talk about alcohol in particular growing up a couple of things one my it was always very apparent well i, I was i knew that my one of my uncles who i didn't have a relationship because he didn't live in you know he didn't my dad's side of the family don't live in this country but he was an alcoholic and I remember always having this excuse of like, oh, I don't drink because my uncle's an alcoholic. And then I remember him passing away because of being an alcoholic. And that was like my thing. I was like, I don't drink. One member of my family has passed away because of it. But also, I never really liked the taste of alcohol. Like growing up trying to sip, a, like drink a beer when you go to the park with your mates and get a crate, I hated the taste. I could drink like a bottle of vodka or a bottle of Sambuca because I just kind of like just down it and then I just off, off my face. So growing up, I never built a relationship where I enjoyed a drink, never found that drink that I could enjoy. And it was never about like socializing. It was about going to a house party and getting off your face because that was the, that was the end goal. And so what everyone's trying to, trying to achieve. And that then carried on at like university and stuff. And again, being in like rugby circles, there's pressure to drink, particularly beer, never really liked it. I'd end up just drinking vodka because it got me, it got me to the same stage as everyone else a bit quicker. And I could master taste and like cranberry juice and other <laughs> drinks like that. Um, but like I said, I wasn't a social drunk. I was, in fact, I was very antisocial. Off regularly getting fights like or, or altercations. It wasn't always like, in fact, mo nine times out of 10, it wasn't me that would start them. My friends would, but because I was a bit more confident with you know myself, could handle myself, I'd, I'd step in to protect my friends as well because that's just part of my nature. So I get myself in these situations usually through drinking, which were very destructive. You know, not many people know, but I'd been arrested a couple of times because of fighting. I actually spent, and this is, um, you wanted a bit of new content or, or, or hot off the press. For, for eight months of university, this is big, by the way, I was actually on police bail because of fighting. Yeah, hot off the press. I might need to edit. But yeah, so, and, and again, that, this isn't to paint a picture of me being some like, Street Fighter Savage. That's definitely what I'm not what I'm talking about. In fact, the, the incident we're talking about was was three guys started on me, so to speak. But it was all in those environments of being in clubs, drinking, fueled. This was also the same with like my relationships with with girls as well. Like they it was just destructive. And then as I got older, again into kind of trying to grow a business, sport, all this kind of stuff, I knew that it wasn't conducive with like trying to wake up on a Monday morning after being binned on Saturday night in a club in St. Albans playing semi-professional rugby then trying to hold down a personal training business and get to work at 5am like it wasn't good sometimes I'd, I'd rock up to work on like a Sunday morning because I was booking in clients like I said I couldn't say no to people booking clients on Sunday and rocking up like half cut it's just it's just not cool so all of those instances just led to and there was a few things that were kind of more catalyst to me just going teetotal but what I've been able to achieve since stopping drinking in terms of the money I've saved, the relationships that I've been able to build, my productivity, like I, I've been not drinking for a while, right? And I used to say like when everyone else is getting five days a week, I'm getting seven and weekends, I was so productive. I was able to just like push out so much more output. Anyway, fast forward to today. And you mentioned these kind of these other, these times like birthdays, stag do's and things where I do have a drink. 
I'm just a bit more, I'm just well, so more well-rounded now. I'm less, I'm more balanced because I have kids, because I have a wife, because the social situations that I'm in now aren't in nightclubs. Like we might just go to a bar and have like, therefore I can, I can sit and have a drink and try and, and try and enjoy it for the, like for the taste. And I can kind of leave it at that. I'm exactly the same as you. Like I obviously, I don't drink very often, probably once a month, once a quarter, something like that. <clears throat> Grew up, didn't like the taste of alcohol, hated it, used to drink for the purpose of getting drunk. And that was literally the only thing. When I was at uni and that rugby culture of you drink cider black or you drink beers, it, honestly, and I, I used to just avoid social situations because of that, because I was like, I don't like the drinking side of it, but I still want to hang out with my mates. What was your thing when you were at uni and when you were in those rugby situations? What was your kind of excuse or your way of avoiding having to have those drinks? What did you just say? Because I used to find it really difficult at uni and I would just avoid the situations and wouldn't go to the socials. I would now and again, but I just wouldn't go in the end. Yeah. So I did find it really, really difficult. And actually my third year of uni, I was made first team captain. And I said to the social sec, because so you go to these away, away games, right? You sit in the back of the bus and like basically on the way home, you just try and get everyone like fucked up and do stupid shit. I said to the social sec, like, just don't involve me in what you want to, like you guys do what you need to do, like naked skydiving, all that kind of stuff. Like, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. But you guys do it. And I'm just, I'm just gonna sit at the back of the bus and just enjoy it, like a couple of drinks because I can't relate to what you guys want to be doing now. But also at university, like nights out, I was the guy then I would just, I'd just get blind drunk. Like I get blind drunk. I I had a few dirty pints in my, in my time, but I just drink other other drinks. But the end result was the same as all the other rugby boys. Like you either get thrown out of the place, you wake up in the morning and think, "What actually happened last night?" It's just, yeah, it just it's just not very productive. Like to, to have that relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. For some people, I think that don't have that it is their release and things. It was never that for me. It was just, it was just a a means to try and fit in with a culture that really is quite destructive mm -hmm. to try and lead a, a life of health and happiness really i don't think it leads to either of those so what are what are your reward structures what what do you do that feels like your release now or what was it throughout your life even though you you, you had those situations where you i guess peer pressure did its magic and made you drink or whatever what but what are your what are your remedies what makes you feel good so just before I answer that bit, there was a period in my life where I felt, I thought then the environments that like James, that uh, Dollar said there, where he wanted to go and see his mates, but he didn't feel as though he could because there was pressure to drink. That's how I felt for a couple of years. So I just never went to those environments and I became a social recluse. That's the bit where I was doing all the endurance stuff as well. Cause I was like, I need to do something. Everyone else is having fun. I need to do something. I'll just go and run. But I was wrong, right? People are quite... Once they get over the fact that you're not drinking, they are. And usually people just want you to get involved because it's because of, like they feel it's all on them. It's not actually about the fact you're not drinking. But once you get everyone gets over that and you're just accepted for being the person that can come to the pub and not have a drink, you can still enjoy those social situations. So I started to then to go to those places and still get the fulfillment of the interaction and socialization with my friends, just not necessarily drinking. And then when by like 10 PM, when everyone's had a few too many and the conversation goes a bit rogue, that's like my time to pull the plug and get out of there. And at that sort of time, Leo had come along. So I had a, like I had, I wouldn't stay out late anyway anymore. But to answer your question in terms of like, like what are my vices and things? I actually just think spending time around people, 
And if they want to have a drink while we, while we do that, that's yeah. that's still cool. Like I said, if I if the thought of like a crisp cold beer at the end of a hard day was attracted to attractive to me because I like the taste, I'd do it. But I physically don't like the taste, so I'll do exactly what the person having the beer is going to do, just not drinking the beer, which is probably putting your feet up, enjoying some nice food with some good company. And we know all about your food. Yeah, I love food. But as you put a list together, didn't you? <laughs> just casing a milk pub. I'm a YouTube sensation now. Did you Honestly, know? It makes me laugh. And I sometimes think I'm like, are you just doing this just to see if people would like jump on the bandwagon? Because obviously there's like the almond croissants and I've got the list of like salt and vinegar rice cakes and like the little scrunched up packet afterwards. How many times does the Tesco run out of those? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even like the Snacker Jack ones. It's like the Tesco's own ones. My favorite one ever, though, is Soup Gang. <laughs> when I saw that one, I was like, nah, he's taking the piss now. <laughs> it is literally soup. And then all of a sudden, I see these reposts of Soup Gang, Soup Gang, Soup Gang. Uh, what else have we got? <laughs> Casein and milk, mate. That makes me laugh so much. And carrot cake oats. That makes me laugh. You actually an OG of OM. So he know, he's I know. I tried to make those carrot cake oats and I put way too much cinnamon in, made a big batch, had to throw it all away. And I was like, oh, I'm just not know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, the, I think the fitness industry in particular is just obsessed with when they see someone that like looks maybe how they want to look or, or yeah, they, they want to emulate everything that, that person does. And it's like the amount of questions. And I, I don't mean this like, this isn't, I'm not being rude to the people that ask these questions. It's like, what's your height? What's your weight? What, how many calories do you eat? That's kind of where the fitness industry is at because they're like, if I just do what that person does, then I can look like that. So if I ate soup or if I ate rice cakes, whatever it may be, and, and it also links to the fact that like my social media strategy, if you can call it a strategy, is just to document my day. And the day is fucking repetitive because I just do the same thing every day, most days, right? So if I'm in like this craze of just eating rice cakes, a bit like you with saurine, and my strategy is to post like all my meals and all the interactions. My strategy is to show all the interactions I have in a day. Cause it's kind of like at the end of the day, if I do watch it back, which is, you know, rare, but it's almost like a vlog and I can like remember these memories and these interactions. And I like to show all the people that are around me and hopefully show just like a positive day and an outlook of someone who's like, who is busy, but it's all about like enjoying being busy in the hustle and bustle of what I do. And within that, I'm threading in these food bits because it's just like what I do. It's the routine. I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm not trying to influence people to buy rice cakes. I'm just like, this must be pretty shit just posting rice cakes every day. I'm going to call it rice cake, rice cake gang. Just like see, see what happens. And then people just adopt it probably because of what I just said, which is he does that. I'm going to do that. It must work. The amount of people say, well, what's, what's the benefit of the almond croissant? It's like, it's anabolic as fuck. Yeah, yeah bro. <laughs> it's fucking delicious. Well, now, now, like our nutrition girls have done like posts on, like breaking down the almond croissant, like like scientifically what's actually involved with it and when you when you might have it, just to actually give people a bit of insight that might want to use it. Because again, we can eat those foods, people who are like highly active, and it's fueling what we do. But for some people, it's probably not the best thing to do. I mean, all every day, both for your bank balance and also your physique and also yeah what your goals are yeah there's the other side as well it's not just the the food and things it's the the little sayings that you've got shark mondays 
midweek no, midweek mono, today. mindset yeah, day yeah. positive vibe sunday all of these do they just come like off the top of your head you just say it that one day and then it trickles on or is it like a pre-thought out thing where you're like now nah, mondays is going to be shark mondays i'm going to make a t-shirt put a shark on it and then people are going to buy it i suppose that like, goes back to grayson like when you when you're trying to like build a business and just think of like a new ideas and stuff. Like you, you do just try things and see if it, if it sort of catches on with the whole like mindset day, shark Monday and what have you like fitness and particularly our style of fitness. It's like tough, like well, fitness for anyone, like trying to build that into your routine around life, kids, work, everything else. It's tough. And also I feel as though one of the biggest parts of March on is just like trying to give people a bit more of a, like a, a different lens to view the world through and just be a bit more positive about stuff. I, I thrive off people around me being really optimistic. When people bring me down, like put a pin in like my energy or what I'm trying to achieve, it like crushes me. So I want people around me to be go-getters and go out and get after it. And like I say, it links probably to my rugby career as well and, and constantly feeling as though I had to, I had to do more and prove myself because I wasn't naturally the coach's first pick. Like I still don't ever refer to myself as like a proper rugby player because I, don't, I didn't have the 10-year career so I didn't, I don't have the premiership like caps next to my name and stuff. Yeah, I played for my country and I was a professional rugby player, but the reason I don't talk about it much anymore, other than literally on podcasts, if people stumble across me now, they wouldn't even know that rugby was a thing is because I never truly thought I'd, I'd got there. So with this mindset stuff, yeah, it's just, it's just little like brands within the brand, like Shark Mondays are now a brand within the brand to like go out and attack the day mindset day when the whole world is going into a bit of a slump and it's like that what 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 do they call it hump day oh, yeah yeah i never understood what that actually meant hump yeah day. because you're you, yeah no but i was like i just thought it was for girls to take pictures of their ass to be honest <laughs> that's, you, that's model model life <laughs> actually well that's just what i follow on instagram <laughs> actually um actually where mindset day came from just to give you just a qu quickly is that on wednesdays was the day that we were going to deadlift and Coach Jens, who you, you probably have seen, he used to travel from from London. He was a personal trainer, had a gym there, to Harpenden, to where Marchand were. Myself, him, and Charlie did our deadlifts, right? So as personal trainers, you're two and a half days into the week. You've been getting up at 5 a.m., working till late at night. You're pretty fucked. And then you put your, like, your biggest session in the middle of the week, which probably wasn't very clever anyway. And sometimes Jens would walk in. He'd have listened to like some music to get himself up for it, get there. And Charlie would just put a down on it and be like, oh, I'm fucked. Like, oh, I really can't be asked. Or just start giving this like negative undertone. So we used to say to each other, like if someone gave, if someone like said something negative, we just be like, it's fucking mindset day. And it just started to like change this narrative and we just used to get after it again. And it just carried on from there. I think it's one of those things that gives you it gives you structure, but gives you excitement for something that is just a day of the week. Like you can buy into things more because you're like, oh, fuck, it's, it's Shark Monday tomorrow. Like I'm get, I'm, I'm ready for this. Like you buy into it yourself, and then other people buy into it. So it's like that. It's that positive cycle. Like you're doing it, people, other people are buying in, and it's just like it makes excitement around something that is essentially another day of the week, but you've given it some purpose. It, it, yeah, exactly that. It gives it gives you some cadence to your week, but where the first thing you think about when you wake up, particularly is because people just love documenting stuff on social media. People love putting like what time they wake up. People love doing all that kind of stuff. Subconsciously, by by using these tones, you act in a different way. Like even myself now on a Wednesday, I'm just like it's fucking mindset day, and then subconsciously everything that I do thereafter 
it's like even and then we put midweek mono on it which is a workout for us which is meant to test just like a bit of like your resilience because they're tough workouts so everyone goes there and even if you're feeling a little bit like like tired or the, the week's getting the better of you you know it's mindset day so you can't bring the attitude and you just get that little bit more out of you and by the time you've done mindset day, it's like Thursday, which isn't really a real day anyway. And then it's Friday, it's the weekend. So it's good. <laughs> Is that because you haven't come up with something for a Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll be, I think I'll be, I'll be overkill if I come up for Thursday. But now you just give me a business idea. <laughs> Stand by. Right on. What are we doing Thursdays? <laughs> so we've, we've had a pretty well-rounded, up-to-date view of where you are, how the business started, your past, your mindset, how it's kind of created an organization and like a community. So where Martron is now, which is hugely successful, you have your online programs that you see go all over the world. I love seeing there's like one in South Africa, there's a Korean guy that's bought one. Like that for me is, I it's perplexing, but it's so cool like to know your reach. But like what's, co what's coming up with Martron? What's next? And what is the vision? Has the vision always been the same, or because you've you found success and roll like rid that roller coaster, has think have things changed recently? Yeah, I still find it mental how people buy stuff all around the world as well. But I think that's the beauty of social media. Yes, things have changed, and I actually uh, we haven't mentioned it, and there's no really cause to uh, reason to mention it. But COVID allowed us a bigger opportunity actually, and I know some businesses have found it really tough and we have too with our bricks and mortar but what it's allowed us to do with everyone going online was to just open up a whole new world because so like I said social media everyone going online us doing a pretty good job of showing up every day which builds more trust and buy-in from a particular from your audience allowed us these opportunities with online which we've seen a huge growth in but also for us to think that we're not just personal trainers in Harpenden that have a gym and that's all I ever used to say like that's all I ever was before I'm a personal trainer and I've got a gym in Harpenden. We now have this business, this brand that has got bigger reach. We have, we have more, better personnel on board that have got expertise that can help develop other products. So we just came up with this like thing and we just called it like the, just March on's global ambition, like the road, the road to become a, a proper global brand. And I don't really know how you define that because we train circa 600 people online across the world, but I still don't think we're a global brand. I don't think anyone ever in like China will know who March on are, but like how cool would it be if they, if like the March on icon or March on was there and people knew what it stood for, i.e. fitness, nutrition, supplements, whatever we're going to, we're going to bring out. That would be really cool. And I think it just gave me it throughout that process of COVID. It just gave me just a renewed energy to go out and go after and give it a crack. And I don't think, I, don't, I still don't think fitness is done as well as it could be done from a coaching standpoint, from a, from the way consumers view it, from the experiences that we can, that, that gyms give a lot of people, there are people doing some good stuff, but if we can, if we could be like the pioneer of how we drive that forward, also like things like moments for her. So un, like truly understanding how women should train and nutrition around like con nutritional considerations for females as well. That's something that's like a real strategic priority for us. So where we are now, I know this will be, you know, this this podcast is going to come out, and the, the sort of the, re, the relaunch that we spoke about will will be out. But we we sort of relaunched the brand, and again, going back to the business side of this, I know Grayson's gone, but building the brand and building the business, we never really did a deep dive into like how you actually build a brand, right? We never really did the the research, the development side of things. We just like it's a logo, it's a website, it's doing well, we like it, let's go, cool. Yeah. 
And then as, as the, as the founder of that, you're, you're constantly looking at that logo or that website or, the, or some of the bits going, I hate it. I need to change it. I need to change it. So we got to a stage where we had this global ambition and we wanted to try and like evolve the brand further. So we've actually gone through a whole research piece, interviewed all the team internally, interviewed some of our members, surveyed people from the wider, wider community, got a load of research to truly understand is what I think and the way I talk about March on the way we think is that what our consumers feel? How do people feel when they're on the outside before they even get in? I mean, that's hugely eye-opening for people, for, for us who want to all be a bit like inclusivity and diversity and things. The people on the outside, they'll say things that are like completely juxtaposed to that. So, like, so it gives you these insights. So we've done all that piece and now you know, we, we've just done the, through the creation, how we, uh, the, uh, the creative side of it, visually, how we represent uh, March on some of the tone of voice and where we go with it. That's getting released out as we speak today over these, over these coming weeks. Um, and we've just done a lot of product development as well. So hopefully over the next six months, we'll be able to bring out our supplements, a new clothing range. For me personally, as a gym owner, the acid test is, can you own two gyms? Like, can you own more than one? You can't be in two places at one time, but can you? Can I create another team in a different place with the same culture, with the same culture but different personalities, and make it a success? So hard, isn't it? Because there's so much appetite around for that that expansion, and even to to another degree, like what we do with fitness club and run club. Like, yeah, we're in London. Sure, we've gone to Bristol and Newcastle recently, but it's like it's hard because you know people want to get involved. But you can't give them the full, like the full experience that is what they look at and what they want to get. Yeah. So it's real tough. But what I love about Marchon is every time you like add someone new, like a badger comes in, they all have their own, they don't have their own personality. They're all doing their own thing. They're bought with, they're in Marchon, but they have their own little shining light, like little nicknames, like the gaffer. Yeah, I mean, he's my favorite, but that, don't tell anyone. That's exactly it. I think, um, <laughs> As, when you're building teams, like you're trying to, you're trying to get people that fit the culture, but you're trying, you're not trying to replace. You don't want another one of yourself. You want people that bring a different area of expertise, a different personality, a different look and feel, and you just nurture that because it's gonna, it's gonna be beneficial to the business. Like our our coaching team is so diverse from like their ability as athletes, their their interests, like everything, and I think that just builds their McDonald's breakfast. Will yeah, exactly. well, you should see his car, man. It's like a <laughs> trash can <laughs> it just it just builds like different faces to the brand and that's the beauty of ambassadors as well right you guys are massive on that like having more faces and personalities to the brand that can communicate the values that you guys hold just make it, they attract different people because their audiences are bought into them by proxy of who they are and what their personality is like so it just compounds and it grows let's just get into it like can you get into the supplements and it or is it too early? Yeah, no, hundred percent. So this is going to be is we've we've joked about like the salt the salt and vinegar rice cakes and the casein and milk, but this is actually aimed at genuine. <laughs> you're putting it out there to go. This is going to help you, and I'm not just showing you random shit I do with almond croissants. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a large thing with me. It's just like kind of stay in your lane, right? And it, when we're looking at the, what what is the scope of what Marchons become for me. The goal was to have a daily march on touch point for this global ambitions to have a daily march not march on touch point in people's lives for some people that will be doing the workouts for some people the workouts seem too advanced right so we are trying to bring in lower barrier programs and things because we are for that the business was built off personal training these people are people that need accountability it's weight management they need motivation it wasn't built on people like the badger so people's perception of march on is like is elite or 
a visual like a visual representations like badge but the day-to-day people are marching just your everyday people because it's a personal training business so i digress slightly but the the goal was to have a, a march on touch point whether it's doing the workout whether it's wearing a hoodie wearing the socks whatever it may be or even just following the social media like what are the things within our scope of practice that we could bring out that are going to make people's lives better and that fit into this kind of like health fitness well-being type space so training being one of it and it's not just for us it's not just about the training like our biggest usp is our coaching the way we deliver it we train quite well but we're not the best athletes our program is great but program is all one and the same it's just a different you know organization of exercises largely when you look at all the different programs out there but we actually bring a coaching expertise to it and a general connection with the people that we look after so that was one piece nutrition coaching we've got two expert nutrition coaches who are absolutely brilliant at coaching nutrition and it's not the usual stuff like it's understanding behaviors psychology people's backstories the clothing is kind of like this wraparound that you put onto something that helps build a brand and we need to improve what those what the what, what the items are for us but that's that's had some legs and then i've always just taken so i've always taken supplements particularly when i was playing sport and i think supplementation is something that people are always asking about but there's such there's so many out there that you end up wasting a lot of money so the opportunity came for us to be able to develop our own and we've developed basic there's just a basic range of whey protein obviously casein you just put it with milk mate um <laughs> Uh, there's going to be, so the girls, the girls do a lot of work. A lot of the work that girls with, with females that they're doing is around PCOS and like hormones and things for females. So they developed a really cool female product. And then it was about like what, what the stuff, what stuff that I'm taking in the morning and the evening that is, it's a bit of a faff. And it's like when you're taking your vitamin D's, your omegas, creatine, and all these other bits, like, can I try and create a blend? So we've got a cool blend for just morning, cool blend for evening. And I think that's about as far as we're going to go. We've got a creatine. That's as far as it's really going to go for us. It's just like the bits that are within our scope of practice that we do daily, that we know that we can do very well. And it, it feeds into the education piece that the girls use with nutrition. And it feeds in at the, if the time is right and everyone else has got their boxes ticked to facilitate fitness. So that's like in the next couple of months. Did you want to question something about that we've just spoken about? I was just going to say you're encapsulating like the the whole practice. So you've got the the physical side of things. You can you've got the merchandise side of things. You've got the nutrition practices, and then you've got the supplementation as well. You like you can curate a day around March on. That's the that's that's the goal. That's the goal. And like I say, it's because. I guess as the brand's grown and different people and personnel have come in, it's allowed me to like keep reinventing myself. It's like, how, where can I take this brand? I, but, but, but while staying in my lane, I was just a trainer. I was then, then like a gym, like a gym owner that's kind of like trying to operate a gym, operations, marketing, building the brand, coaching, programming. But now I've got these great people around me, like the gaffer, head of programming, head of staff development, Charlie working more in the online space because he's kind of his influence and, the, and, and he's just a, an approach. I was going to say an attractive guy. I don't mean it visually attractive, but like people want to spend more time with him. Like he's likable. We've got these a great coaching team and I can insert any of their names. We've got the girls now that run nutrition, my sister in operations. So it's like, where do I, what, what can I now do? And I've finally got just a bit of headspace to work on just product development and things that, like I say, things that facilitate my life. And if brand OM is kind of where March on started, then these things can fit within the March on brand is kind of my, my theory. 
So that's what's kind of already been confirmed and coming up in the next kind of couple of months. What is the long-term plan? So have you got a vision for what March 1 will be in five years, in 10 years time? Obviously it'll be fluid and it'll probably change over that time. But right now, obviously you've gone through this rebrand. It's probably been a thought process there of being like, okay, cool, we're going to do this now, but where do we want to be long-term? Mm, it's a great question, mate. And I, I often change my mind based on like how dynamic life is with being a dad and a husband and a friend and a business owner and a wannabe athlete. It's like, Sometimes my energies are up there and I'm like, I'm going after everything. I'm going to take games. I'm, I'm going to take conversations. <laughs> I might need to get you to coach me. Donna. CrossFit games. Be there. Sometimes I'm, I'm going after everything. And then other times I'm like, Oh, I just wind it in a little bit. I think, like I say, that we've got a genuine global ambition. I don't quite know what that means. I just know that it means something way more profound that we've, than we've already achieved. I want to build something that like March on is my surname, but now it's like people, people that come to the gym, don't even know who I am, right? So now I'm finally getting to that stage where these layers to a business, first it's like build products that people want to buy. Then it's like profitability. Then it's like having more impact on people's lives. Then it's like that business could still stand there long after that person's then gone. That's where I want to get to now. So that the people that are within the business, like I'm talking about the employees, there's just a, there's just a level of security for them, like food on the table, pay their mortgages, that's that's like worst case where I want to be in five years time. Everyone can still earn a living. Best case would be multiple gyms domestically, gyms overseas, some incredible lived experiences because I feel as though between the ages of 26 and 30, when I was building this business, my lived experiences were pretty shit because I was just, didn't know what I was doing. So just actually trying to enjoy the, the ride a little bit more. Sounds like I'm getting philosophical, but just just trying to actually enjoy what we're doing. But there's no real exit strategy because I feel as though if I, it's all I ever want, it's all I want to do like every day. Like my job role now, I know that, you know, job role is kind of like, what does Oli, what do I do? Like my job role is pretty much this kind of stuff. It's actually now a lot more on social media because I feel as though the impact and speaking to everyone that does DM me or at least getting back to them, acknowledging their messages and having communication is a big part even though there's no return on that investment is a big part of like what our brand stands for now. And like I say, things like this, like being the vehicle to be able to talk, being the vehicle or the, or the shop window of what March on's about. I didn't really answer your question. Where we'll be in 10 years. I, I don't know. That was a good line there. The vehicle for where March on be. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I just think, I think it's just like maturing and figuring out you've put so much hard work and like, total absolute focus into something and now you've seen like the fruits of your labor and it's it's recognizing that you can still work really hard but you're also giving yourself like a little bit of like a pat on the back like well done like ease off ease not ease off a little bit but have these experiences now your aim is to to bro continue to grow the brand at the rate it's going but then recognize those wins and live life within it and i think it's it's pretty wonderful. Yeah, it was it's the, it was first an acceptance that I cannot be all things to all people, particularly within the business. Like I, I wanted to be in control of everything. Like I wanted to write the program. I wanted to be the head coach. I wanted to be head of online. I wanted to be head of brand. Like you can't be you can't be all those things and 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 build a brand that you want to try and build. And then it's also like you say, maturing into the role a little bit, maturing in life a little bit, but without getting complacent because there's always going to be someone that could come along that's going to be bigger and better. At the same time as that, I feel as though we built some foundations whereby you couldn't just take March on away now. 
And I think, like I say, the last 18 months has shown us that because we've, we've been able to grow, maintain the business and grow the business through the pandemic. Whereas prior to that, going back to like, our lease find that like, ends, ends at this time. Like if we don't have a lease, we don't have a business. It's like, no, like if we don't have a lease and we can't extend it, we find somewhere else or we, you know, we diversify what we do. There's, there's more to us now than just being personal trainers. No, I was just going to say, I think we, uh, this could go on. Yeah. I had so many more topics. I want to talk about you being a dad. I wanted to talk about your training philosophies. I wanted to talk about loads of stuff, your approach to social media, all that kind of stuff. So I think we'll probably save that for a second episode. Part two. Yeah. If you're happy to come in again. I've actually really enjoyed it. I'll be more than yeah. happy to come back. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Have you got any leaving words of wisdom to leave with the audience? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm on the spot. Let me think of something. Well, the one we're just bringing out, better is a choice. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. A lot of time for that. True. Always is. I think, yeah, we talk about a lot of this is like without limits and ready for anything. It It's born out of, again, just being a jack of all trades and a master of none. And the fact that particularly people talk about fitness being this journey and life being this journey, and just don't put boundaries on yourself. And you guys talk, you know, go beyond is, is you know, is, is, is something that I think people put themselves into a box. They just work a nine to five, get on, you know, or in a rat race. And I think through better lived experiences, you're going to have more fun, more relationships, better interactions, looking for better experiences. Yeah. That's what I'll leave you with. Oh, well, well, love to the March on pride. Love to pure sport. Love to the, the family, love to the business. Uh, hope you continue in every way and hope we can be a small part of that or high five at many points along the way <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure as, as the journey continues for both of us like there's there's so much natural synergy bet between us so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to the rest of the, the rest of the ride with you guys amen to that well mr ollie marchin ladies and gentlemen signing out do you want to give an om salute <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got no sweat to, to wipe <laughs> Yo, thank you Pure Sport fan for tuning in. As a valued listener, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount code site-wide on puresportcbd.com. Use the code PROJECT20 to level up your life. If you like this podcast, like, subscribe and share with your friends. And remember, no stress, stay blessed and we'll catch you next time.